I called up a buddy and asked if I could borrow his 14-foot raft and had him help me shuttle my truck to the bottom of the run and paddled away from him at 5 o'clock in the afternoon and didn't see anyone for the, literally the first 36 hours of this this trip. And, and describe what that was like, that moment, Adam. It paddling was, away, you it, know it's going to be days. Absolute elation. Mm. Inside of me, in precisely the place where in the past I thought, am I capable? Welcome to Become Good Soil. I'm your host, Morgan Snyder, a podcast for men choosing a decade of excavation. Recently, I wrote a blog titled Castration in a Case for Carrying a Knife, and I think a lot of people have benefited from it. And if you haven't read it yet, you can go to becomegoodsoil.com and read that blog. As part of that, it felt like God wanted me to grab some of the teaching from a past intensive where we wrestled with this category of God's invitation for us to become a generalist. And so I think you're really going to enjoy some of this teaching. And even more than the teaching, I think you'll enjoy this part two of the podcast. I grabbed John Dale and Adam Paulson, two alumni from the Become Good Soil Intensive. I want to show you two images to contrast because there, there was something that God meant when he meant man. In, in, in yesterday morning session, we talked about the true self. There's some unique expression in each of you as a man that God is trying to bring um, that, that's your true self. But, but now I want to say there's also um, something that is simply man, something that's masculine. Walt Harrington wrote The Everlasting Stream, which I strongly recommend to all of you guys. Um, it's phenomenal. Um, it, it's, it, it's a, it, well, I'll tell you about a minute, but in it, he says, a man was always intended to be at core what we might consider a generalist. There, there's something about simply being a man that God has set in you that the world needs that we all have in common. Um, I want to show this, this uh, Gerber clip um, and then contrast it to another. Hello, Trouble. It's been a while since we last met. But I know you're still out there. And I have a feeling you're looking for me. I'd forget you. Don't you trouble. Mind. 
Yeah, different than uh, our buddy in the sailboat, huh? Uh, what does that evoke in you? Uh, what do you feel inside? Right? There, there's something about a man and his pocket knife set the world free. There's nothing else needed. I mean, that was intended to be true in us, in some core place in us, to have what our son needs, right? Where it's not being hired out. Um, I want to contrast to this. So Alan and I, uh, one of the gals at the office got an Ikea uh, furnishing piece. And so she asked us to put it together. So Alan and I go to put it together. We open the instructions. This is page one, you know, stick the thingies of particle board together. Um, And this is page two. And that's all the instructions, the whole packet, right? And uh, it really unnerved me. I was really pissed off. And I, I... and I couldn't exactly tell you why. And I took this thing, and it was on my desk for a month. And finally one time I pulled it out, and I said, why does this bug me so much? And, and so I just sat there. I said, God, I, I just need to find in my heart of, like, what is this saying to me, right? And, and what it says is, hey, you have no dick, okay? <laughs> Let me, you have no dick. And so um, y- your wife's... Um, Dad gave her a little toolbox when she left the house. Go find the screwdriver and the little hammer. And don't bring anything else, okay? Now, don't do something stupid, okay? Don't be an ass. Go get another friend that has no dick to help you carry this, okay? And then open the box. And as soon as you do, you're going to be totally fig- totally confused. Don't do anything except for call us, okay? We will help you figure it out. That, that's what Ikea tells you what to do, right? A little different than, hello, trouble, right? A little different than unstoppable. I mean, it, Ikea has that because they're interested in selling stuff. And most people, that's the most helpful instruction guide they could give. That's it, right? That's what a man has become. I mean, C.S. Lewis calls it men without chess. Uh, it's it's um, Abolition of Man is the hardest book I've ever read. I don't understand most of it. And the pieces that I do understand are phenomenal. John had us read this uh, when I was a student, when I first came into this message. And, and I love, he says, we, it's, a, it's, um, it's a culture of men without chess. We, we make men without chess, expect from them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked when we find traitors in our midst. He goes on to say, in a ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. We make men without chess, expect them to be virtue and enterprise. But then we are shocked when it doesn't happen. Our culture, the world, the flesh, and the evil one, remove the organ, which is man, and demand that we become one. And and that's where it starts blowing up. And so there's, so there's something about being a generalist, a generalist that has to be re, recaptured. There's parts that have atrophied in us because we've outsourced it. We live in a culture that's outsourced most everything. And we've come down to this common denominator of making money and making money as a means to exchange. We've bought the lie that we can buy what we need with money. But in the process of outsourcing things, in activities, we've outsourced masculinity. 
we've, we've outsourced the things that make us men. I was at this house um, one time years ago, 2001, 2002, in this, this fancy house, and this guy had this poster, poster girl, wife, and uh, she was pretty, real pretty. And, um, and she was so sad. And I started looking at her life, and, I, and, and, and it was one of those Holy Spirit moments. I realized, okay, um, she has someone that cooks, someone that cleans, someone that cares for her children, someone that drives, someone that shops. Her only job left is being pretty. But the problem is everything that makes a woman beautiful has been taken from her. And Jesus just had me file it away because the same is true of a man. The very things that make us men have been taken from us or we have yielded them. So there's something about this decade that that you have an opportunity to get it back, to become a generalist, to be at core a generalist. Walt Harrington in this book, Everlasting Stream, it's, it's um, one of my favorite books. He, he, his dad was a milkman, grew up blue collar world, and he became professional and a professional writer and went to DC writing for the Washington Post. And he was a white guy and, you know, and he worked with presidents and entertained dignity, digni- um, you know, all kinds of famous people. And he married a black woman from the South. And so then he goes to Glasgow, Kentucky, with her family in just abject poverty. And he ends up rabbit hunting on Thanksgiving with borrowed guns, borrowed clothes. And he's thinking, this is pretty gruesome. And he really liked it. Year after year, 25 years later, he's in the fellowship of these black, poor, uneducated men that actually have the very thing he's been longing for all his life. And they initiated him and then they provide a context for him to initiate his son into the world of men. And he describes his life, and he says it this way in his book. He says, it took my father time to feel proud of me that I was a journalist. I mean, I didn't even know how to replace my own car muffler. When it came to owning a house, I wasted money on plumbers, fixing leaky faucets, electricians to repair broken light switches. I hired a nursery to lay down the landscaping, a gardener to trim and tidy it all up twice a year. Even if my father could have afforded it, he would not have ceded so much mastery of his world to hired hands. But I'd done what young men in America are supposed to do. I'd risen in society. I'd eaten dinner with presidents. And funny, despite all my social ascents, my simple and deepest hope came to be that I could teach my son some of what my father taught me about being a man. John Dale, Adam Paulson, thank you for joining me in the studio again for another Become Good Soil podcast. It feels like yesterday, but just about a year ago, we were together at the Intensive here in Colorado, and it's really good to circle up again and dive back into some of these stories and themes in these categories for this decade in the hopes of helping to nourish and encourage some other men. So thank you for being here. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks, Morg. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks. So, guys, a generalist. When I laid out that category of this idea that one of the consequences of the modern world is that the very things, the contexts that were meant to initiate us and to develop us as men, we've outsourced. 
And in the process, we've lost the opportunity to grow in this core of what God means to be a man. React to that as far as where you were last summer when you first heard that. Where did you go with that? Yeah, that named for me a category that I would say had been festering Mm. for a couple years. I just was growing increasingly discontent with outsourcing my problems, whether they be the oil in my car or the plumbing, a leaky faucet. My dad is is a really good man. He's a great man. And that and that's not wasn't part of my upbringing. We called the plumber. Mm-hmm. Call the electrician. Call the guy to fix your car. And I'd say 26, 27, 28, that really began to grate on me, but I wasn't sure why because it was what I'd always known. Mm-hmm. So there, I didn't exactly have a category for for what to do about that. And I knew that I looked up to guys that fixed their own trucks mm-hmm. and could build a shed out back, knew how to do those sort of things, but I didn't know uh, where to start. Mm-hmm. It seems silly for me to to try to start on my car mm-hmm. or start on my plumbing. I don't want to have shit all over my kitchen floor, right. you know. So right, I wasn't sure where to start. But that the intensive really began a for me what I've committed to of a decade of of learning and being okay, screwing things up, yes. taking risks, and believing that in that process there's gold to be found. Yes, even if I get shit all over my my kitchen floor. It's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> So John? more like Adam, I, I grew up in a home, you know, in my case, my dad was a doctor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that meant that he was able to provide a good income, but everything was done by someone else. Mm-hmm. So if the car broke, it went to a mechanic. If, you know, if something was leaking, we called a plumber. I mean, just the very basic things growing up that was not part of what was uh, transferred to me by my dad. I mean, great guy, amazing things were transferred, just not that, not this category of being a generalist, which stands in stark contrast to my wife's dad, who is, you know, this amazing man who knows how to do everything. Mm -hmm. Like, he never hires anyone for anything. He fixes his own trucks. He you know, builds everything, you know, builds his own houses. And so for me, one of the things that I've been invited into over the last few years, more since being introduced to this idea, Mm -hmm. is really engaging with my father-in-law in in these things and realizing that he has so much that he can offer me. And and so, you know, an example, we moved into a house um, a couple of years ago and I wanted to take this big empty space above the garage and refinish it, make it into, a, into an office, um, sort of man space. And the old me would have said, okay, I can figure out a way to make the money to hire someone to come and do this right. Yes. But what I did instead of that was I invited my father-in-law, Jim, to come and not just do it, but to teach me how. And so, you know, there I was working with a sander and working with a mm. saw and working with a nail gun and all these pieces and really just feeling the father's love as my father-in-law was able to offer what he had, mm-hmm. right? And I, all of a sudden now, find myself where just last week there was something messed up on a door with a door jam. And so I'm like, oh, I can do this. So I go grab a hammer and some nails and some little shims. And, and next thing you know, like, I fixed an issue with a door, whereas three years ago, 
I would have either called a carpenter or called my father-in-law and said, hey, would you come help with this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what, what an invitation to be invited into becoming more of, of who I am as a man. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what I appreciate about that story, John, you said in there, when you're working with your father-in-law, you felt that experience of the father's love right. of of initiating you and taking you into more. And I think that's so important because there are guys out there like the sons of your father-in-law that grew up in a world they worked with their hands. Right. But there are other worlds that are totally foreign to them. You know, I have a buddy that he grew up in the wilderness for all the decades of his life, but the world of a woman's heart is pretty foreign to him. And how to really have fierce mastery over his financial world and his retirement, that's actually pretty scary. And so the things that he knows how to do really intimidate me in ways, whereas the things that I've had quite a few miles on intimidate him. And so what I appreciate about your story is it's very personal as far as what are the areas that you, for whatever reason, like you said, Adam, that your dad may not have taken you into or you look up to in another man with esteem and a little apprehension if you were asked to fill that role, what would it look like to ask the father to take you into those? And like you said, Adam, to give yourself not just one opportunity, but a decade Mm -hmm. of trial and error and letting failure in the context of a loving father be a place in which God can initiate Mm -hmm. you as a man. Mm-hmm. More, I mean, another quick story on that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I've been hunting now for five, six years, mostly unsuccessfully. And one of the things that has been fascinating to me about it is while I've been invited in by other men and been initiated, the thing that scared me most about hunting was actually killing an animal. Not mm. that I'm afraid of killing an animal, but like, shit, what do I do next? Yes. <laughs> right? Because yes. then you have this dead animal laying there. <laughs> Everything's And you changed. have to like, it's, it's holy, but you, and you need to honor it. But like, next step is somehow getting meat into my freezer. Yes. And just so intimidated by that. Yeah. And so last year, when you invited me in to, you know, your journey with roadkill. <laughs> yes. um, but, you know, I find myself in Morg's garage <laughs> You know, and we're like cutting up a deer, and like we. But we went from email yes. meetings, desk work to we get the call on a roadkill. Right. And Thirty minutes later, we've got a carcass, and our our sleeves are rolled. So up, right? fast forward a year, <laughs> okay. And I'm driving along. I see roads. A doe steps out in front of my truck. I do everything I can to try and stop, but end up hitting this doe. My son's with me. And we're on our way to Boy Scouts. We're going to Boy Scouts, right? Perfect Boy Scout moment. He's like, the whole time we're at Boy Scouts, he's like, Dad, Dad, are we going to go back and get that deer? Because he knows that, you know, roadkill is sort of a new category for me. (laughs) And so after Boy Scouts, we go, we pull over. Sure enough, this doe is, you know, there and and has been dead for a while. And so we pick it up, throw it in the back of the truck. And that night, there I am, like calling Morgan on the phone. And I'm like, okay, Morg, you've got to walk me through this. And so, like, he over the phone walks me through dressing out this dough. And the beauty of it is now, it's like I have got this arrow in my quiver now. Yes. I know how to dress out Uh an animal. Yes. Right? And so coming into, you know, this year's hunting season, that isn't this mystery thing that I'm scared of because it's it's a piece that I have. Yeah. For most men that hunt, 
they got that from their dad when they were 12 years yes. old and they go out and shot their first deer or whatever. For me, here I am at 38, yes. being invited into that and being farther than it, in this case, you know, by Morgan. Mm. Now, John, take us a step further because you just described, okay, because of this experience with this roadkill, I have another arrow in my quiver going into my next hunt. Mm. Take us a step deeper. Because of this experience, I have this other arrow in my quiver as a man. Because there are a lot of men that will never big game hunt right. and they will never get roadkill and that's not their story. But what did it do in you as a man? What's different? Right. So I think by way of contrast, if we look at how I felt going into a construction project three or four years ago before I really had engaged with my father-in-law, yes. something was missing. Like I genuinely felt like I didn't know what to do, and that's emasculating, right? Like, I literally didn't know how to pull a nail out. Like, I, I think you put these spiky things around the nail right. and yank. And so what it's done is it's given me one more piece, one more arrow in this quiver that allows me to face a situation that can be completely unrelated with a confidence of knowing I know how to figure this stuff out, mm-hmm. Right, And it isn't just that I know how to deal with a deer and with a carcass. It's that I've learned something about life and about death and about anatomy and all these pieces that that it just – there's this veil of mystery that's been pulled back and this level of basic mastery that I have now in this area, which is very basic, trust me, um, that gives me a confidence in other areas. Yes. And and to add on to that – like I was able to invite my son into it, mm-hmm. right? And he got to watch me literally figure it out as we go, mm-hmm. as I'm like taking photos and texting him to morgue and <laughs> say, hey, do I need to cut further down? Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And he gets to see you wrestle with these areas of your heart as a man that have not been initiated. Right. So not only that experience, but he gets to see, oh, my dad doesn't have everything he needs yet, but Mm -hmm. he has a good father that's continuing, even in his late 30s, to bring him pieces and to make him whole and holy. Right. Gives him hope. Yeah. That's awesome. Adam, how about you? What's a story in this category that you want to put in front of the guys? Sure. A couple come to mind. One is an easy one. I can't give you all the details because it's a surprise, but um, nice. I'm getting married, and for the guys that are standing in my wedding, I felt like God gave me this dream of what I was to give them, this gift. Yes. And it's something that I either could have gone and purchased or I could make. And Adam at 26, 27, 28 would have gone and bought that, mm. probably spent money he didn't have, mm. and asked somebody else to figure it out for him. Mm. And as a result of God really stirring this in my heart from the intensive last summer, I just thought, no, I'm going to make this mm. for each one of these guys. And immediately in my head, there's this battle of, well, it's not going to be as good as if you were to just go buy it. You yes. want this to be something these guys will treasure. And you're going to screw a ton of stuff up along the way. It's going to take time that you don't have. All these things, and it, that's all true. <laughs> yes. It probably would be a little bit more cherry if I just went and bought it. Yes. But I believe that in the process of, of making these things for these guys, there's gold in there for me. And I, I believe they're going to appreciate even the imperfections that will come yes. in that gift. 
the the other story that comes to mind, I had the opportunity to go out for my yearly solo, which which I, I have every spring. It takes different forms every year. But this year, what I felt like the invitation from God was, was this four-day, three-night solo river trip. I've been on a bunch of river trips, done some overnight stuff, but never done that by myself, never been the guy in charge, never had it all up to me. Mm. And there was a lot of fear that came with that invitation for me to go. I knew I needed that time, um, knew I desperately wanted that time away. But again, in the past would have said, that's a bad idea. There are situations that are going to come up that you're not qualified to handle. You're not capable of handling. And I would have probably just gone to a hotel somewhere. Instead, I called up a buddy and asked if I could borrow his 14-foot raft and had him help me shuttle my truck to the bottom of the run and paddled away from him at 5 o'clock in the afternoon and didn't see anyone for the, literally the first 36 hours of this this trip. And, and describe what that was like, that moment, Adam. It was, paddling away, you it, know it's going to be days. Absolute elation. Mm inside of me in precisely the place where in the past I thought, am I capable? And it was funny because I hadn't even done anything yet. Just the choice to actually do it. Yes. To stroke away from those guys on the shore and know that for the next three nights, whatever happens, it's, I'm just going to have to figure it out. And I was so excited to have put myself in a position to then over the next couple days have whatever was going to come up. I didn't even know at that point what would happen. All I knew was there's no one else coming to the rescue. <laughs> and I'm going to screw a bunch of stuff up. I'm glad there wasn't a video camera on me because the on-the-job learning stuff was absolutely hilarious. Yes. And I wouldn't want any of you guys to, to see <laughs> it. But invaluable, yes. invaluable to me. And a huge declaration, I think, for this decade of, one, I won't be too prideful to ask questions. Yes. I asked a lot of questions getting ready for this trip. And two, I'm not going to be so afraid of what happens when I don't get it right that I won't try. And the declaration to risk and to learn to ask questions has borne incredible fruit in my life. And just last week on this river trip, when I finally got the boat out of the water at the end of that trip and got it back on the trailer and was driving away in my truck, I just thought that might be one of the most important things I've ever done in my life. Wow. And nothing, nothing significant out of the ordinary happened. But it was enough to just have paddled away from those guys on the shore and said, whatever comes, I'll figure it out. Yes. I'll take care of it. Mm. Man, and what a treasure from the Father to have that as you prepare for your marriage to Hallie. Mm -hmm. You know, you're in a unique place where you've lived quite a bit of this decade of excavation, mm -hmm. single, and... You've really taken God up on the offer to use that time wisely and go after so much more of his kingdom that you're thirsty for and your training, your excavation. But to have that trip in this transition time. And I think what's important, Adam, I just want to reflect back in your story. You chose that. Mm -hmm. You chose to walk into the unknown, and you choose a solo every year. I mean, that's not part of your job. Right. That's your personal life, your walk with God. You value it enough to say, I'm pulling away. I need to be with God. And on this one, you really took God up on the offer, as John has said it. I love it. To live in a way where God has to show up. Yes. And the beauty is he's a good father and he will every time. And maybe not the way that we expect him or we want him to, but he will show up. Yes. And something's different in you. 
Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I could not have foreseen a hundred of the, the problems, yeah. the, the things that I would have had to come up with a solution for. And how much like marriage is that, I'm guessing. Exactly. <laughs> Being now about a month out from beginning that adventure, it was really fun to have Holy Spirit show me some parallels between that journey of, you know, pushing away from the shore with leaving my buddy on the beach and pushing away in the same way, turning away from the life of being a single man and beginning this journey, mm. this great adventure of marriage and and Holy Spirit going, whatever comes, you're capable. Mm. You're capable, Adam. You haven't always believed that, but you're capable. Yes. And really for me, that that's the question I've been asking all along. Am I capable? Do I have what it takes? And what's so cool about this category as a generalist, it's one thing for all of us to hear that from the Father. Yes, Adam, you do. Mm. It's quite another to choose to put yourself in a context to be tested and find out that that's true. Right? And it's not true that you get it all right. It's true that you're a man and you're being fathered and God's taking you up into it. It's like you said, to have that in this transition is gold. And it really helps. It helps me, Adam, with this other piece. So this morning I was praying about this podcast recording with you guys and just asking God what was on his heart for it. And he took me back to the Gerber knife video, Hello Trouble, that yeah. we've been talking a lot about and living in in this past year. And the symbolism of a man and a knife can change the world. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the father wanted me to bestow a knife on you. Wow. And so here oh my gosh. is the Gerber from the video for you. And Adam, <laughs> this is so cool. Wow. Because I was praying then. I, I just felt like I was supposed to do some listening prayer over it. And so I was wow. sitting there and I said, Father, what do you want to say to Adam? Because there's something powerful in bestowing in masculine culture. And so I felt like wow. the father wanted to give it to you. But he wanted it to come through me. And I said, what are your words for Adam? And it was so cool, Adam. So I was just doing some listening prayer. Father, what do you want to say? He took me into Psalm 45, which I have not reflected on since my wedding oh. over 14 years ago. And he said, the knife is actually a wedding gift. And my, my first reaction was, well, I already got Adam a wedding gift. And I think it's pretty freaking cool. It's great. But the father said, oh, no, no, no. This is my wedding gift to him. Wow. And so I open up Psalm 45, and I want to read it over you right now. Is it just a bestowing? Because this is pretty amazing. The father says to you, Adam, that you are the most excellent of men, that your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever, gird your knife upon your side, O mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously in behalf of truth, humility, and righteousness. Let your right hand display awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the heart's of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness, Adam, and you hate wickedness. And therefore, God, your God, Adam, has marked you and set you apart as a king by anointing you with the oil of joy. Wow. 
bless you with that wow. for this next season ahead. Wow. That's overwhelming and so fun. Morgan, thank you for this. This is a huge gift. And just to affirm and confirm, thank you for listening to God. I've carried on me for about the last six months this huge, clunky leather. <laughs> that thing's a monster. And part of it coming out of the intensive was I want to be a generalist. Yes. I want to be capable for whatever comes. Yes. So whether it requires the, the pliers yes. or the goofy file yes. in here or the little screwdriver or the knife, I'm going to carry this huge, clunky thing. That's awesome. And it was this morning, this morning, literally, that my conversation with the father went something like, well, I was reading that blog again, yes. Castration, yes. where you invite guys to ask that the father would bestow a knife. I'm like, well, I kind of already have one. I've got this huge, clunky Leatherman. And you know, just in, in my, inside of me somewhere, I felt like I heard God say, you could ask for another one. Mm. You could ask for a craftsman knife. You could yes. ask for something that's a little bit more yes. uh, fine-tuned yes. than your, your, this blunt instrument. Yes. So, I mean, that was just this morning. Ah, that so I, beautiful. for the first time, asked for a knife. And there it is. So thank you. Yes. Wow. Yeah, I just love the Father's <laughs> way. It's so oh, cool. I mean, man. none of this is planned. None That's of so good. It's so cool. <laughs> ah. I can't believe it. Oh, man. Well, speaking of gifts, we together have a gift for all you men listening. And this is a pretty cool story. So God brought me to that Hello Trouble Unstoppable video quite a while ago as I was praying about this category, becoming a generalist, and I was really moved by it. And so I started looking up Hello Trouble online, and and I found out that there was this old country song by Buck Owens and the Buckaroos. And (laughs) it is as classic as their name. It's this wonderful, twangy, short, great lyrical song, Hello Trouble. And that's where Gerber got it. They borrowed it from him. And I felt like the father said, I want to bring that song back to men choosing a decade of excavation, but I want to do a remix. And so I'm not a musician. And so I just prayed about it and said, God, how are we going to do this? How would we get there? And have a, a good friend, Eric Swenson, who's a graduate of the intensive. He's a, a writer and he's a poet. And God told me he's a songwriter. And he didn't know that yet, uh, but he told me. And so I contacted Eric and I said, hey, Eric, let me send you lyrics to Buck Owens and the Buckaroos and Hello Trouble. I'd love for you to add some lyrics to it that really speaks to the heart of men that are our peers that are going through this decade. And then I said, Father, who's the musician? Who's the person that you are anointing to kind of capture this for the men? And, you know, I thought about a lot of guys, but Adam... The father very clearly said, you are the one. So then months go by after I email Eric, and then he got some time and to pray through lyrics, and he sent them to me, and I thought they were phenomenal. So I send an email to Adam and just kind of frame the project and tell him what's on my heart. And I said, hey, there's no pressure. As God leads you, if you want to kind of play with this of a remix, go for it. And I really had a kind of a time frame of five years or so of whenever he gets free time and he can play with it. And it wasn't but two hours later, Adam sends me this bootleg iPhone recording from his bedroom of this killer song. And I'm just listening to it and my heart is burning. And it's burning with that same affirmation that you both described of the father inviting us to be generalists, saying, there is more. I want to recover every treasure 
that's been lost or stolen or given away. Mm-hmm. So I asked Adam to come over this morning to a studio where we could get a good sound recording of the song and let it be a gift for all you guys out there that are taking this journey with us. So Adam, why don't you grab that guitar and let's hear the new version of Hello Trouble. All right. up this morning happy as could be looked out my window what did I see coming up my sidewalk just as big as day well here comes trouble I never thought I'd see when you when you went away I used to hide when you would come around I buried all my cash out back underground Boards on my windows to keep out the wind I thought I'd hold up safe and stay unscathed if If I never let you in Hello, trouble. Come on in. You talk about heartaches. Where in the world you been? I ain't had the miseries since you've been gone. Hello, trouble, trouble, trouble. Welcome home. Turns out I missed you when you were gone. Stared out my window, wondering what went wrong. Or oh, if it ain't raining, and if the work is done. Well, then there ain't no point in a pounding nails or, or praying for the sun. I'm glad to see you Coming down the way Cause it means I got yeah, Another day And you found it worthy To pay me some mind Oh, that can only mean I've got a lot to do Before I Before I up and die Hello, trouble. Come on in. You talk about heartaches. Where in the world you been? I ain't had the miseries since you've been gone. Well, hello, trouble, trouble, trouble. Welcome home. Now that I'm done running, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll turn and face your fire, and I'll pass on through. And 
may not be pleasing to feel the heat of pain. But if I live my days with nothing to lose, I got, I got much to gain. Hello, trouble. Come on in. You talk about heartaches when the world you've been. I ain't had the miseries since you've been gone. Well, hello, trouble, trouble, trouble. Hello. Dallas Willard said that the most important thing about a man is not what he does, but it's who he becomes. If you enjoyed this and would like more podcasts and blogs and other resources to take this decade of excavation and go deeper, join us at becomegoodsoil.com.